We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. On this episode of the podcast, I speak with Kevin Holmes, founder and CEO of Founders Network, a peer mentoring network for tech founders. We talk about his journey from history major to semiconductors to almost going to Guatemala to founding Founders Network nine years ago. We talk about how hard it is to be a startup founder and how that inspired Founders Network. As an aside, I'm a member of Founders Network and also this year the San Francisco Regional Director, so you can say I'm a fan of what he's doing. The reason I'm such a fan is that I know firsthand the power of peer mentorship and why it's vital for all entrepreneurs to have a kitchen cabinet to help them out. Being an entrepreneur is one of the hardest jobs out there. It's borderline insane to think that your newfangled gizmo is going to change the lives of customers or even change the world. There's a lot of failure in being an entrepreneur, and having a consistent, like-minded set of peers helping you out is what the entrepreneur ethos is all about. In fact, you'll hear during the episode the essence of what Founders Network is and part of Kevin's fantastic forward to my book. If you want to take a deep dive into how peer mentorship works, or you're interested in what groups like Founders Network is all about, then this one is a must-listen. Now, let's get better together. Kevin Holmes, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So uh, we originally met like 2017 um, as part of what you're doing uh, with Founders Network. Uh, but before we dive into that, um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background and kind of what brought you to what you're doing today? Sure. So... How much time do we have? <laughs> well, you know, uh, give I'll us give the nickel the, tour. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you, fair enough. It's a little longer than the penny tour. Exactly. Um, right. So I uh, wound up uh, stumbling into entrepreneurship um, at the end of the dot-com era. So sort of the trough of the dot-com bust. Um, I was... I uh, kind of had the travel bug post-college. I had played basketball and studied history and didn't have much of an interest in business. I had interned at a, a microchip company in Silicon Valley. And it was what we would refer to as a cube farm. <laughs> Familiar. And, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, a fairly mature industry, pretty 
pretty abstract, miraculous alien technology, hard to comprehend that we actually can create these, these things with, you know, discs and uh, wafers and acid etching and, uh, and all that. I got, I was lucky they sent me to a fab where I got to put on a bunny suit and walk around and tour the process. Um, but ultimately, you know, I was in a Marcom role and I thought, God, this is really, really boring. <laughs> um, and if, and if this is Silicon Valley, get me as far away from exactly. Silicon Valley as possible. Yep. 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 Um, <clears throat> and so, and so I was actually all set to go down to Guatemala and I had, uh, a place booked in a little town called Quetzaltenango and uh, Shayla for short. And it was like $400 a month for one-on-one Spanish instruction room and board. When a friend called me and said, Hey, before you do that, come join our startup. Wow. It'll be like five weeks. You'll make a bunch of money and then you can go travel and you know, you have a big nest egg. And so I said, okay. So I went and I joined a startup and the rest is history. So three years, I never made it to Guatemala. I got the startup bug. Right. And uh, three years, three and a half years at that startup, we raised about a million bucks. We got revenue to about the same. Um, I had a knack for sales. And so I ended up leading the sales org and then um, and then grew into sort of the, the COO. Um, and we sort of did what we would call today a pivot mm. um, in company strategy. And, uh, and I just had a ton of fun. I love the creative problem solving. I love the camaraderie. We all lived in a house together in, in Saratoga and Silicon Valley. And, uh, we traded equity for rent for our office space near San Jose airport. <laughs> cool. Cool. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> I'd say we were pretty heads down and we, what we didn't know kind of, you know, hampered our progress and we reinvented the wheel, um, kind of myopic focus in that sense. And, um, so that was kind of, you know, that, that phase of my career and the takeaway was, you know, um, you're, you're, it's, it's really difficult being a startup founder and, and, um, you know, being part of the leadership team and, um, and, uh, yeah, so it was kind of a painful experience. Ultimately got egg on my face. We did not produce a return for our investors. We did not have a big exit, um, despite our, our grand, um, you know, aspirations. The dean of the business school at Santa Clara University had been an investor mm. in our startup. And he wanted to see more startups coming out of Santa Clara University. Stanford and Berkeley had funded a significant portion of their endowments from, oh yeah, you know, uh, Google and Yahoo, uh, Sun, Sun Microsystems actually stand, Sun actually stands for Stanford University Network. <laughs> for those of you that don't know the original origins of the internet because <laughs> you know yeah right which i mean i'm a, which is no longer around yeah i'm i'm a little older than kevin but not by much so <laughs> we uh we fondly share the back in the old day <laughs> kind of stuff yeah yeah still boring stuff not not the fun social web but right right anyways um yeah long story short i i went there and they paid for an mba at night and i started a center for innovation and entrepreneurship and my role was to foster entrepreneurship and connect all the alumni, faculty, staff, and students and help foster more startups at the university. Um, and that's where I gained this perspective on the, the ecosystem, the tech startup ecosystem. And what that really is, is this idea that there's all of these organizations that help support startups. Startups don't actually go it alone. They have uh, law firms and banks and accounting firms and HR and benefits companies and all manner of companies that specialize in helping launch and scale uh, tech startups. And so those two experiences led me to start Founders Network, which was, hey, this is really hard. You're reinventing the wheel all the time. Um, and you know, on the personal side, it can be really challenging. Um, the burnout is a risk. Yeah. And so you have these sort of tactical and emotional challenges of being founder. And then there's this ecosystem, but I felt like there was a missing niche in the ecosystem a service that could bring you know tech founders together to help each other not reinvent the wheel the old statement if i knew then what i know now um every founder can say it and um and so just you know assembling a group of, of vetted tech founders with really good experience to help each other and that's what we started in 20 uh 2011 so wow be, so 
nine nine years old on Sunday. Wow, nine Saturday, years old on rather. Sunday. Wow, yeah. that's quite the accomplishment. And yeah, I mean, that's how you know we originally met through Barbara, who pretty much knows everyone. <laughs> so, um, and uh, what was interesting is you know when I first met you and 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 got exposed to Founders Network, I was literally finishing up the book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, which is what this podcast is based on. And I had actually asked you to write the foreword, which you graciously did. And uh, I'm actually going to read the last paragraph of it because um, that was over three years ago. And I think now more than ever, what you wrote is very powerful and completely relevant to what we're going through today. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, let me read this last paragraph. It's in, it's in the, the foreword of the book. Um, we uh, Just for some context, we, we had lunch together, and so this is why it starts out that way. In that first lunch meeting, Jari and I talked about the need to codify Silicon Valley culture to help more founders around the world better understand and adopt the ethos that led to the success of this region. We need a, sh we need a shared culture that cuts across national boundaries and unifies the special class of workers, eases collaboration, learns from one another, inspires camaraderie, and ultimate, ultimately accelerates the pace of progress towards a better future. The entrepreneur ethos is a step in that direction. So that's pretty powerful. And, um, and I know Founders Network um, actually lives by an ethos, um, which, which is what originally inspired me to join. And full disclosure, I'm actually the San Francisco regional chair this year, volunteer position that I was happy to get involved with. And I think now more than ever, we need peer mentorship. And so can you tell us a little bit about the, the you know, I, there's a little bit of background on what inspired the network, but I, I'm curious how you came up with your own ethos for Founders Network, how that sort of drives your, your daily activity, because it is, well, being an entrepreneur is a hard job and uh, having others to share the burden or to at least talk to one another is a very powerful thing. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So um, the, the ethos, I think there's a bit of, it's just sort of, <clears throat> it's just sort of part of, you know, part of the Silicon Valley and the industry, the tech startup industry's culture of, being very collaborative, very authentic, um, and 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 I think every city has a culture, has an industry, a main industry, and that industry shapes the culture um, in that um, in that city. And in Silicon Valley, we have we have ours. So to a certain extent, with Founders Network, we have six hundred members. They're all over the world. We have ten chapters. We just launched Mexico City. We're scaling it to twenty five chapters. And um, culture is one of those things we talk about in, you know, in our conversations about startups and, and organizations and defining your culture for your startup. And it's kind of the invisible, um, it's kind of the invisible water that yeah. you're swimming in that yeah. you know, it makes. That's a good communication. analogy. Yeah. And I, I think it, it eases communication. It creates, um, you know, faster um, and, you know, and, and uh, faster lowers the overhead of communication as I guess you'd say um, having the same kind of cultural understanding and um, and ethos and so as we've been scaling this over nine years I've noticed this about you know the the finance industry and the way that shapes business culture in New York City and the entertainment industry and the way that shapes business culture in LA and and it can be kind of jarring um, and in Silicon Valley, we tend to be very navel gazing, mm -hmm. um, just very much focused on ourselves. And, and there's always articles about the next Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think in this, the spirit of almost, you know, what I was doing with the, the entrepreneurship center at Santa Clara University, which is not Stanford or Cal, part of my motivation is to expand the tent and to get more people access to the support that traditionally only a, a handful of people from a couple of universities um, had access to with, you know, high tech startups and venture capital. If you look at venture capitalists today, like it's getting better, but it primarily, you know, you're looking at Harvard and Stanford grads. Yeah. And yeah, tall, tall white guys. Tall white guys. <laughs> which I, I know. Yeah. Which we both yeah, are. <laughs> which we both are. But, 
but I, you know, I think being at Santa Clara kind of shaped my perspective of not being one of those um, in that group and sort of being frustrated uh, that you see a lot of crappy companies get funded um, yeah. and sometimes obscene amounts of funding and you look at, oh yeah, they all went to Stanford. Yeah. They all went to, yeah, they all went to Cal. And so just wanting to create something that, you know, like I said, expanded the circle and was more inclusive, which is one of our core values. Um, and, and I guess, you know, what I, my experience as a founder uh, that, I, that I shared, um, I, I did not found the company, but was, you know, kind of included in that after the fact. Um, and, um, you know, the, the experience there was, was a, was a, you know, sort of a frustrating one of like, not being able to raise those funds. And of course, the macroeconomic environment shaped that, but to a certain extent, it's the network. And so you, you, you know, I learned about, <clears throat> I mentioned um, the microchip company I worked in. They have, uh, you know, you, you learn Silicon Valley lore and history. You learn about the traitorous eight. Mm -hmm. these, are the, these are the guys who left, I think, was it Fairchild Semiconductor? It was Fairchild or Shockley. It, 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 Shockley Labs. Yeah, yeah, Shockley Labs. And and Shockley, the guy <clears> who invented the Shockley diode, for those of you that don't know anything about electrical engineering, I will put a link in the show notes to the Traitorous 8. He was notoriously not a nice guy. And, you know, go ahead. He drove, go ahead. It's yeah, he drove, he drove his team away. Yeah. And they went and started Intel, mm -hmm. and they started the National Semiconductor and, like, AMD maybe or... Oh, AMD, then guys from AMD went to Cyprus and then to Micron. I mean, there's, yeah, yeah it's... And, and there's a map of it that shows, like, the family tree, how it all descended there. Yeah. But those traders, hey, they were a tight-knit group, and they shared knowledge and, you know, um, kind of had a peer group there. Uh, and then and what's more contemporary, still kind of old, is the PayPal Mafia. Mm -hmm. We've heard of that one. And, mm -hmm. again, it's, like, another group of people who were all at one company, PayPal, and then went on to start... Um, you know, Elon Musk was in that group, Max Lovchin, um, Joe Lonsdale. So that there's a, they all went on to start Tesla and SpaceX. Yeah. And Dave McClure from 500 and, startups was in that too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's, a, there is something to this idea of having a peer group of other tech founders that you can share experience and knowledge and perspective and connections. And it helps make a little bit easier. What's an incredibly difficult, um, you know, you can call it a career path. Cheers. Yeah. Totally. 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 I mean, it, it, it is interesting because especially now, of course, we're, we're in the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic worldwide. And, uh, you know, it's been hard for startups. A lot of them, some of them are thriving because they happen to have a model that's uh, scalable or virtual, but there's a lot of, a lot of people that are a lot of companies struggling not only in Silicon Valley but all over the all over the world. I mean, you know, gig workers and people that are you know at restaurants, and so everyone's you know trying to figure out how to support each other. And I'm I'm curious as to you know what what you do every day from a you know you you you're the CEO of a peer mentoring network, which <laughs> not only is again perfectly positioned into something like this but like what's your day-to-day -day like that you that you do to stay sane in all this chaos yeah well it's been tough i mean uh the, the working i think that i've heard people joke about it's not about getting dying from covid it's dying from you know working from home or being at home <laughs> around um i have two little kids and you know there's there's plenty of distractions and um, so normally my structure is, is pretty rigid, but these days it's, it's a little bit in flux. Um, but you know, I do the typical things. I, I exercise, I sometimes do yoga, meditation, um, and, uh, and I work, you know, I work, uh, we have a daily stand up at 9am. Our team's virtual and they're all over, all over uh, the world. And, um, yeah, we do our stand up at 9am and we do, uh, and all hands uh, once a week. It's a little bit deeper, um, Monday through Friday. And then, you know, um, I take lunch. <laughs> so that's important. Some people um, don't, by the way. Some people some, don't. Yeah. I'm, yeah. 
some people they drink uh what is this stuff um soylent yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the whole silicon valley like productivity hacking stuff i don't know I yeah mean, who knows i don't get it yeah i don't either I, like i ha- i kind of have a philosophy that like if you give yourself 60 hours in a work week or 80 hours in a work week or 100 or whatever you're gonna figure out a way to fill it up yeah so like well i guess one of my approaches to work is like trying to be efficient and trying to figure out like every and this is important for you know people who have small businesses like mine or people starting startups every day you wake up and what is it you have to get done and there's an endless list that you have but like you got to pick those top three things and just make sure you cross those off that day yeah no totally totally so so do you so you don't put in the 80 hour 120 hour a week <laughs> no i i i'm afraid not i i did that in my first startup um founders network i do you know like a monday through friday kind of nine nine to eight thirty nine to you know five thirty six we have events in the evening and we have a chapter in london and so sometimes that'll get me up early or yeah. or staying up late and then just like I, I think I could do better about uh, checking email or Slack in the nights and weekends and trying to be more present with my kids and yeah. my family. Um, I I think I I would rate myself like give myself like a B minus on that. Oh, okay. Um, so hopefully, yeah, that's an area hopefully the, the the wife's gonna listen to and <laughs> <laughs> score some points. Score some points. Well, I mean, it is you know it's interesting because uh, I. You know, w- within the Founders Network, we, we get to mentor a lot of different types of people. In fact, pretty much every month, you guys assign me someone to kind of onboard and do a little, you know, 30-minute tutorial. And I- I've always found it really fascinating talking to other people, especially those at different stages of their, in, you know, their startup world. Like some of literally like first company have no idea what they're doing. Others are a little more seasoned or maybe in a different mm-hmm. industry. Uh, and, and for me, you know, I just get a lot out of helping people in general. That's sort of my, you know, why I'm doing the podcast, why I wrote the book, why, why I do what I do. Um, and so the, the interesting thing for me is this, this, this peer mentorship and, and how vital it is for the mentor and not just the mentee, but for the mentor to, um, enrich their lives. And, and, and do you find that when you talk to other people in the network or in general, because the people that I've talked to, not just in founders network, but in general, like, you know, do some stuff with kids, um, to help them, uh, you know, with entrepreneurship and stuff, is that something that, that people talk about or, or what is some of your impressions, you know, with, with that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, I, I think that there's research that shows that you're, you live longer. Um, if you're in the center of a large social network. Yeah, that's true. Um, true. if you're, if you do something that's giving back on a regular basis, you're actually healthier. There's studies that show that. And then I think just anecdotally talking to members, it's, yeah, it's more about, um, what I hear time and time again is, man, I didn't realize how much I actually knew about this until I, <laughs> until somebody asked me to teach them about it. Yeah. That's and the I ultimate. Like realize. That's yeah. It. Yeah. So it really helps, I think, consolidate learning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a like medical school model. Uh, so learn, learn one, do one, teach one. Or something yeah. Like that. uh-huh. That's very, yeah. so very, kind of, very common. Yeah. yeah. So I think, I think that totally resonates and yeah, it feels good. It feels good to, it's, you know, it's my job's not the most lucrative job out there. I don't have a venture backing. I don't have an exit looming, uh, IPO coming. But there's a, there's you know non pecuniary benefits that, yeah. that you get. So the non financial benefits of just it feels good to help other people. Yeah. Barbara's another a great example. Oh yeah, just the, the person who connected us. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, you know, every everyone I've met. Uh, in the network has been top rate a plus folks and yeah it's a self-selecting group right like right people who are takers they they look at the value proposition of founders network i get to 
pay dues to join a group to help other people. Yeah. And that that's how they see it. Yeah. And they don't see like, well, you also receive, but you also, you know, helping is, is there's a, there's something about helping others and paying it forward that creates a dynamic where, you know, it's the concept of social capital where mm-hmm. you're, you're building up a network, you're building up social capital. And then when you do need that help, there's, there's so many people who you've helped over the, over the weeks, months, years that are you know more than willing to help you with whatever that is. So totally, um, it's kind of enlightened self-interest in a way, but there's a lot of people who, who kind of, you know, come to founders network and they don't quite get it. They don't yeah. understand. And there's, there's research on this too, that shows that there's, you know, I think it's Adam, is it Adam Rifkin's book. Oh, you mean the gift take? Yeah. Give and take. Give yeah. take. I, I, I think, take, right. So there's, uh, yeah, I think that's his name. I'm not sure, but yeah. It, and there's three things. There's a, uh, there's ta- givers, takers, and matchers. Right, right. And givers and takers rise to the top. <laughs> so we, I like to think we we filter out the takers just by virtue of you know our what we're what we stand for. Right. Um, and and this ethos of giving is really something that we're trying to promote around the world in each of our chapters with each of our new members who are onboarding. Um, it's a really important part of the ethos. Yeah. And it's not something not something that you find in uh, naturally as much in, uh, you know, other industries, other cities. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a good point because, um, I know in Silicon Valley, there's just a natural tendency to ask for help for people to always have a side hustle for people to always like shout at the top of the, their lungs, what they're doing <laughs> because it's so hard. Like yeah. go ahead and try to copy it. I don't think I can't even figure it out. I don't think you'll know either. <laughs> right. I mean, it's true. Um, how many times have I talked to other like competitors or, you know, people that are, you know, again, and the ones that are the takers, you can tell right away because they have the scarcity mindset, which, um, you know, like there's only a so big a pie and I want my piece. Um, whereas win lose, yeah, win lose. Whereas the, the abundance mindset, which I think is the way I would classify founders network is we need to expand together. And, and, that part of the Silicon Valley culture doesn't really get talked about enough. Uh, you know, we always see the <laughs> our uh, you know the Zuckerbergs and the the Pages and the you know all the guys that uh, and mostly their guys that uh, are been super wildly successful and super rich and had an exit and all that sort of stuff. And you know that doesn't account for the you know thousand to 10,000 or hundred thousand to one of other folks that are just, you know, trying to build an independent life that completes them like what you're trying to do with, with your company. I mean, yeah, I I was, I was giggling a little bit when you said no IPO, no exit, no venture backing, because you're, um, that's not very common here in Silicon Valley, but it's common around the world to have businesses that are sustainable you know, and real businesses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Real. And yeah. And, and, and what's interesting is that you see all the, you know, the one metric that matters grow till you, you know, grow till it hurts, um, you know, move fast, break things kind of mentality. And, you know, if you've got enough free venture capital money, <laughs> that seems to work. But when it starts to get down to brass tacks, doesn't, doesn't really happen. So what, what are some of the what are, what are some of the what's some of the advice that that you're seeing in Founders Network regarding how to handle you know COVID nineteen and some of the things that you know people within the, the network are doing and helping each other out on because it, it it is again you're kind of in a unique position I think not not unlike the startup genome which is more like the data side but I mean you know in real time yeah. every day the forums. Yeah. Well, it's it's just yeah. We have fifteen conversations a week on the forum. We've seen that go way up. Yeah, Uh, we do a hundred events a year. A lot of those were virtual. Now they're all virtual, and we've seen attendance go up. It's easier for people to join in. Yeah, Um, and they're really participatory. So people, we've done six events in the past week just about COVID and recession proofing. We've got people in the group who've you know been through the the great recession of 08 
through the dot-com bust, through the, the recession of 93, you know, and, and they've, they've lived through all of those and they're bringing all that experience um, to bear for, for the conversation about sort of how to prepare for a downturn or a recession. Um, but on to your point about, you know, COVID and, and it being different from more of a data-driven approach, I think the first thing is just that it's just a scary time. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of unknowns. We were just talking at the start of our call before we started. Every, you know, every slight cold you get, you, you wonder if that symptom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at least I do. I, I no, I do I too. I had a cold last week and uh, I just was like, yeah. Oh my God, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I think the first thing to say is that it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just a very human response. And that's going to have an impact on your mindset and how you think about your business, how you operate your business and your motivation, um, you know, day to day and, you know, let alone the changes of environment from yeah. working from home. Yeah. So true. Um, and then, yeah, and then I think that, you know, when you unpack that a little further, the actual implication, there's really two big categories of, of um, topics related to COVID for startup founders. My uh, my wife and kids are uh, doing a workout class in the living room. Awesome. So hear that. Um, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's what that is. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, trying to survive here. Yeah, um, exactly. There's two big to- topics for COVID, right, for startup founders. And one is remote work. Um, and then, you know, within that, some people are already used to that and they have it down and they're, and we have lots of those members of the group and it's great because they're sharing what they know with the founders who are, you know, used to be at a WeWork or they used to be at a, a co-working space and, oh, yeah. and, and now they're, they're trying to adapt to their cafe and now they're yeah. trying to adapt to remote work. So remote work and like, in particular, the challenges it, it poses, I think around like, um, staying productive and motivated and having structure like you asked about earlier. And then, the, um, so I think that's like kind of one of them. And then the other one is just for COVID is there's just industries that are disproportionately impacted by this. So yeah. we had a call last week where one of our lifetime members called in uh, and he said, Hey, I've, I've got to go. And after this call and I've got to let go nine people. Wow. He, he was in the travel industry. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> And it was tough. And that's tough. And, um, but what was really cool was that there were several people on the call who had been through the great recession and had to lay off both sides of it, had to lay off, uh, teams and had also been laid off. Yeah. And then in the other dimension of it has, had been on the surviving teams that did not get laid off. And so there was this great conversation about, here's how it was done. And it, and I really appreciated it that it was done that way in my experience, or here's how it was done. And I think it could have been handled totally better uh, yeah. in my experience. And so it was really neat. He was able to you know, take a really tough situation, but he was able to come in and, um, you know, and, and tap into, um, tap into the group shared, you know, collective expertise that way. Yeah. I mean, it's so lonely when you have to lay people off in, it's, it's, you know, I mean, when you're a leader, you have to do it. I mean, you know, I had to do it during the 2000 recession and it was awful and miserable. And I really emotionally, it was hard on me because it's, you know, people ask why me? And I'm like, I, you know, I can't, I wish I could tell you it has nothing to do with you. It's about, you know, our sales are down 50% and, people need to go. And that's unfortunately the way it is. And the compassion that, that you, you bring to that is hard because, you know, depending on who you are now, some people are just (laughs) ruthless on this. And, um, yeah, those people have, I don't know, I don't know how they sleep at night, but I remember I was laying this one woman off and she looked at me and she said, so how are you doing? And I'm all, Huh? <laughs> right? <laughs> You're asking me. I'm, I'm, I'm laying you off. And and what she said, she's like, I've been laid off before, and I know it's not personal. And I and you've been treating me really well, and I appreciate that. And I'm sure this is really hard on you because I know you don't want to do this. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, her name was Lynn. Her name is Lynn. 
I don't um, don't know what she's up to now, but that's amazing. I thought that was the most compassionate thing anyone could say at that point. And, um, uh, you know, having, having experience and, and that, and, and having some, having to come back, cut, well, having a place to talk about that is valuable because, you know, the, the people in the network that have been through all that can kind of coach him through it. Mm. And, and I think that's a real valuable service because what's going to happen at least I predict what's going to happen is that, you know, there's going to be a lot of startups that aren't going to make it. There's going to be a lot of founders and be a lot of, you know, ex startup or startup folks out there trying to figure out what to do. And right now more than ever, we need a lot of support and it's not just, you know, knowledge it's, you know, moral support. It's telling everyone it's going to be okay. We'll make it through you know, really being kind and compassionate and considerate and, and living, living not only, you know, the entrepreneur ethos, but the ethos that you guys have at Founders Network, which I think is pretty unique when it comes to a group of founders. Um, I've been I, at a bunch of accelerators. I've been part of other groups. And the focus on community and ethics uh, and an ethos none of those other places have. So ha- have you found that that's been sort of the guide star for you personally? I know we talked a little bit about this, but I mean, when you come from the Silicon Valley culture per se, um, not really. <laughs> I mean, we both, okay. We both are, we both are products of it in a different way. Um, but you know, how, how did, how did you, How'd you get to it, and 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 do you think that that it's just going to keep growing this this type of approach? Hmm. Well, I mean, I think like you know we're the sum of our experiences in a way, and so there's there's the, the existing culture, collaborative culture of Silicon Valley, and then there's the unique culture of Founders Network that I agree with you hundred percent and I obviously am biased, but I've been to a lot of, a lot of events and groups in, in uh, Silicon Valley and they can be, you know, a bit of a pissing contest uh, for <laughs> lack of a better phrase. Yeah, right. True. True. Um, <clears throat> and so it's something about founders network that's really, that I've found unique and that I didn't realize was so unique until many years into creating it when I went and started going to some of these other events is, is just how authentic um, and humble uh, two of our community values, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. The community really is. And, uh, and what that enables, you know, great learners are great leaders are great learners. And, you know, to be a great learner, you have to be humble. You have to admit that you don't have the answer. So what it enables is really a, a learning community of people who, are passionate about their, their craft or their, uh, you know, their profession. And I do think that, I do think there's going to be more of it. I think that one of the insights I think I've had in this journey is that being a founder is actually a career. Yeah. I kind of alluded, alluded to this earlier, but, um, I have a personal anecdote where before I started founders network, I had a wedding to pay for. <laughs> and it was about a month before that wedding. And I had to come up with like, I don't know, 20, 30 grand. Or something yeah. Ridiculous. It's yeah, yeah. probably worse now. Um, oh yeah. The wedding and indu- wedding industrial complex. Exactly. <laughs> and so I, anyways, I, I'm, a, I'm a little ashamed to say it, but I polished my resume off and I went interviewing for jobs at corporations to go captive. And, uh, and I interviewed at Salesforce wow. and I got to the final round. And I was sitting across the boardroom table from the hiring manager and he looked at my resume and he looked at me and he said, you don't want this job. You're a startup guy. And he's obviously challenging me, yeah. uh, you know, to, to come up with a rebuttal, but I didn't have one Yeah. and I didn't take the, I didn't take the job. And, you know, nine years later, here we are with founders network. And for me, it's, you know, it's not a tech, it's not a high growth tech startup. But in the group, actually, when I did some research to investigate this a little bit, 
I found that the average member's done 2.2 startups. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone I relate that story to has some sort of visceral reaction where it just resonates. They go, yeah, exactly. Um, so you do, they call it the startup bug. They call it, you know, um, just being an entrepreneur and being entrepreneurial or, you know, brain damage, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> Un- it's, right? unem- it's unemployable is what, uh, <laughs> unemployable. is what Brian Clark the, calls yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. So I think that's real. And I, yeah. and I think that, uh, once you do one start, you want to do another. And so the idea of belonging to a community, any community that you invest in that supports, you know, your career, whether you're in, you know, um, founders aren't anything new. It's essentially an association, right? And associations have been around forever, and guilds are around before that, right? Um, since the Middle Ages, right? So, this is one of the things that you want to have success in your career. You need to be part of some sort of peer group with other uh, professionals, practitioners, um, different from academia, different from higher ed, where I was before, where you're trying to really kind of codify it and create structures and frameworks and take the anxiety out of some of the decision-making with these tools, mental tools. Uh, but like really getting into to the current issues and the current challenges. And um, so I do think that it is going to, there's going to be more of it. I think it's more of a, um, it, it is a career. Um, I don't know about, you know, like how necessary it is, the culture we've created, um, do I see more groups coming up like that? I do see some groups in other parts of the world sort of emulate some of the things that we put out there for values and um, at least in their landing pages. Right. And, uh, and <clears throat> some of it I know is emulation. Some of it could be natural, uh, you know, just the way these things work with, you know, in Silicon Valley is all of a sudden five people are working on the same startup idea in different parts of, yep. of, of the city and they had no no connection so yeah i think it's there's definitely um it's getting cheaper to start startups Um, people are getting laid off what are they going to do yeah it's true a lot of them are going to start startups right hope springs eternal yeah exactly this is the chance this is the time to do it this is the gift yeah i mean i i agree i agree and a lot of people don't don't see it that way (laughs) at times because i mean it's a tough job and um I think it's the hardest job uh, just because you have to convince people to buy something that's never existed before. And there is so many other people out there trying to do it that you, you know, you get yet another app, yet another, you know, whatever. Right. So. um, Yeah. It's incredibly humbling. Yeah, it is. It is. And I agree with you that it's a career. I just, cannot fathom working for a big company ever again <laughs> yeah no cube farm I'm, i guess i'm just unemployable or something i mean again there's probably great companies big companies out there i'm sure and you know and people have to have their own journey but i personally feel that the entrepreneurial skills are the 21st century skills everyone has to learn i, I don't i don't see a way around it i just don't um the world yeah. is changing so fast there's an author, um, Michael Malone, mm. who wrote Bill and Dave, uh, Hewlett and Packard. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he's written a bunch of books. He's an awesome author if you're interested in like books about the industry. Oh, you yeah. Need, obviously, you need to buy The Entrepreneur Ethos. Of course, 100%. <laughs> by Jari Bolander. That's your first purchase. Yes. Um, Bill, Bill and Dave's a good one for understanding um, maybe where that um, – you know, Michael Malone said they created one of the most humane organizations ever. Oh, wow. Really? And so they actually, yeah, they actually kind of seeded the culture of Silicon Valley in, wow. in the 1950s when it was very militant and assembly line and yeah. kind of factory yeah. um, uh, oriented. They were, they were on the line, uh, you know, serving hamburgers at the company picnic. Um, but he, all, he has a more recent book where he talks about breaking up the monolith these monolithic organizations in the future are just not going to be agile enough. And so you're going to see more and more of this creative destruction of, of uh, economic growth driven by breaking up these big monolithic companies. And then these professionals who kind of serve tours of duty and go from, you know, startup to startup, scale up, have a liquidity event, make a lot of money for their investors, for themselves. Uh, and then, you know, on to the next opportunity. So he, he, and he says, that's going to be, 
not just the Silicon Valley tech thing, but that's going to be like, you know, the, 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 the economy in the, in the future because of um, all of the tools we have now and how they can enable, you know, um, rapid growth and scaling and remote work and, um, and like the, the, the costs, the inputs are so much lower. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, great example of that is uh, Angie's company, uh, to Zen. Um, yeah. And actually, 3D printing, right? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know yeah. if it's that, um, but they do, uh, what they do is this, uh, sustainable jewelry, right? So okay. um, it's, uh, I'm not exactly sure the process. I don't think it's that, but th- there's <clears throat> something that they do that's, they can follow a trend. Um, okay. That might've been their last, this is like her third or fourth startup since she's joined <laughs> Founders Network. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Her actually, her, uh, I interviewed her as well. Her, uh, I think it dropped. Oh, cool. Yeah, her, her her episode dropped today. Um, and what was really great about, check it out. Like, yeah, she, she's she's just such a great great person. Um, and what what was really cool about um, what you talked about about this breaking up of this uh, rapid um, acceleration or deceleration of, of things is that fashion's like the number two industry that pollutes because they have to hit trends, right? And trends are awful. Mm. If they get it wrong, all that stuff yeah. just gets thrown away. And so their their approach is more uh, planet friendly. They look at uh, figuring out how to um, build for demand. And there's again, I don't know exactly how they do it, but that but having that kind of the infrastructure in place, this whole uh, you know online direct to consumer, the infrastructure. I mean. It, the, the means of production are so democratized that it's really, there should be no waste. There should be almost, you know, creativity on demand for lack of a better word. And and I do think that's going to be the future. And that's actually almost an artisan type approach. And what's really interesting is that, you know, throughout history, artisans have been the ones that have created, you know, axes and knives and, the butcher and all that sort of, and so I think we're going back to this artisan approach because you know everyone will be an artisan. Yeah, I like that. I, I, it resonates. I think that um, you know it reminds me of that one of my favorite movies is Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Oh yeah, yeah, great. Have you seen that? Great. Oh yeah, <clears throat> love it, love it. But the best sushi restaurant in the world. Uh, and he's just, he's a, a, a maniac, yeah. I guess, about, you know, the process and Kaizen and continuous improvement and the art artisanry of, of, uh, of his craft. Yeah. Perfecting his craft. Yeah. I mean, I it's, that, it, I think it's, it's inspiring. Oh yeah. And, and, and it's yeah. like, I think his, I think his restaurants in like a subway station or something. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know yeah. um, but Which yeah, it's a different kind of different thing over there. But yeah, yeah. But They're, but if yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, but yeah, to your point, like it's not. Um, it's part of the culture, actually. Right, it's part of the the culture there. Yeah, you you do see more artisan create the craft, like like knife making in Japan is an example of like really, you know, not that there's not a lot of them anymore that, that make kind of make handmade knives, but there's like a region where they're like, we make knives <laughs> or, mm. you know, we make textiles or we fish or whatever. And, 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 and to a certain degree, I can see that, you know, the, the artisan and the, 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 uh, the pride of craft is, is I think really important. I mean, I know that's a really strong thing when it comes to creativity as well as being an author the pride of craft yeah. is, is really strong. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you're right in terms of this whole kind of, I don't know, creative culture, entrepreneur culture, where this is just going to be your job. I mean, I think we've already yeah. sort of see that, but. You know, and, and I, and I, I think it's a, the headwind. I, I hope it's the macro trend. I've been doing founders network nine years. I've never been through a downturn. Um, Wow. I always have said in preparation for it, you know, right. well, hope springs eternal. And some half the fortune 500 companies were started in downturns. Yeah. 
Um, and in a lot of ways, it creates advantages, right? Yeah. There's less noise. There's less competition for resources. You have a good company. You're, you're going to get attention. You're going to get the funding that is available. There's always funding for good companies, right? Yeah. Um, and so, like, yeah, I think that's all true. And I think there's going to be more starts, more upstarts. Um, but I've never been through it. I actually dogfooded, you know, Founders Network myself just in trying to think about it. And I reached out to one of our members who had been through a few downturns. Um, and it was really like tremendously helpful just kind of thinking through, like, even in a downturn, this kind of group is really important because we didn't touch on this in the, in the, when we were talking about like working from home, but it's already a lonely job to be a, a founder and a CEO and 100%. This, ice, this quarantine <laughs> isolation. Even worse. Um, yeah. We had a, a meeting yesterday and people were, were remarking on how it felt different. Yeah. It was a zoom meeting, but it just felt yeah. different and it, there was more spirit to it, more connection. Um, totally. <laughs> Cause it was all we have, you know, oh, yeah. that cough, that cough was nothing. Disregard that cough. Wow. Yeah, that's that's right. The, the, <clears throat> the, the connection's important. So, Kevin, I uh, I really appreciate your time. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on the pandemic social hour. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you you guys don't see the. <laughs> I have a virtual thing behind me called pandemic virtual social. Zoom background. Virtual Zoom is pretty funny. But yeah, thanks yeah. for having me, Jari. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, and uh, stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting thedailymba.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, the Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest that you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about in this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time... Keep getting better. Okay, let's say you're on vacation or out running errands and you want to see what's going on at home. Or you're at home and you want to see what your dog's getting up to downstairs. With self-protection from Xfinity, you can keep an eye on things no matter where you are with live and recorded video, all on your terms. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash self-protection. Restrictions apply. Residential customers only. Requires Xfinity Internet and compatible XFi gateway. Professional monitoring not included.